0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X xorg Recorded by me, Glenn Hallstrom, also known as Smokestack Jones. SmokestackJones@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You'll also find my blog at toomuchjohnson.blogspot.com. Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, Chapter 25. Wherein this history reverts to Mr. Fagan and Company. While these things were passing in the country workhouse, Mr. Fagin sat in the old den, the same from which Oliver had been removed by the girl, brooding over a dull, smoky fire. He held a pair of bellows upon his knee, which he had apparently been endeavouring to rouse it into more cheerful action, but had fallen into deep thought when, with his arms folded on them, and his chin resting on his thumbs, fixed his eyes abstractedly on the rusty bars at the table behind him sat the artful dodger master charles bates and mr chitling all intent upon a game of whist the artful taking dummy against master bates and mr chitling the countenance of the first-named gentleman peculiarly intelligent at all times acquired great additional interest from his close observance of the game and his attentive perusal of mr chitling's hand upon which from time to time his occasion served he bestowed a variety of earnest glances wisely regulating his own play as the result of his observations upon his neighbour's cards it being a cold night the dodger wore his hat as indeed was often his custom within doors he also sustained a clay pipe between his teeth which he only removed for a brief space when he deemed it necessary to apply for refreshment to a quart pot upon the table which stood ready filled with gin and water for the accommodation of the company master bates was also attentive to the play but being of a more excitable nature than his accomplished friend it was observable that he more frequently applied himself to the gin and water and moreover indulged in many jests and irrelevant remarks all highly unbecoming a scientific rubber indeed the artful presuming upon their close attachment more than once took occasion to reason gravely with his companion upon those improprieties all of which remonstrances master bates received an extremely good part merely requesting his friend to be blowed or to insert his head in a sack or replying with some other neatly turned witticism of a similar kind the haply application of which excited considerable admiration in the mind of mr chitling it was remarkable that the latter gentleman and his partner invariably lost and that the circumstance so far from angering master bates "'appeared to afford him the highest amusement inasmuch as he laughed most uproariously at the end of every deal, "'and protested that he had never seen such a jolly game in all his born days. "'That's two doubles in the rub,' said Mr. Chitning, with a very long face, "'as he drew half a crown from his waistcoat-pocket. "'I never seen such a feller as you, Jack. You win everything. "'Even when we've good cars, Charlie and I can't make nothing of em either the master or the manner of his remark which was made very ruefully delighted Charlie bates so much that his consequent shout of laughter roused the jew from his reverie and induced him to inquire what was the matter master fagin cried charley i wish you'd watched the play tommy chitling hadn't won a point and i went partners with him against the artful and dumb ay ay said the jew with a grin which sufficiently demonstrated that he was at no loss to understand the reason "'Try em again, Tom, try em again!' "'No more of it for me, thank you, Fagin,' replied Mr. Chitling. "'I've had enough. "'That here dodger is such a run of luck there's no standin' to get him!' "'Ha, <laughs> my dear,' replied the Jew, "'you must get up very early in the morning to win against the dodger.' "'Morning!' said Charlie Bates. "'You must put your boots on overnight and have a telescope in each eye "'and an upper glass between your shoulders if you want to come over him.' mr dawkins received these handsome compliments with much philosophy and offered to cut any gentleman in company for the first picture card at a shilling at a time nobody accepting the challenge and his pipe being by this time smoked out he proceeded to amuse himself by sketching a ground plan of newgate on the table with a piece of chalk which had served him in lieu of counters whistling meantime with peculiar shrillness how precious dull you are tommy said the dodger stopping short when there had been a long silence and addressing mr chitling what you think he's thinking of fagin how shall i know my dear replied the jew looking round as he plied his bellows about his losses maybe or his little retirement in the country that he's just left eh <laughs> is that it my dear not a bit of it replied the dodger stopping the subject of discourse as mr chitling was about to reply what do you say Charlie?" i should say replied master bates with a grin that he was uncommon sweet upon betsy See how he's a blushing! Oh my eye, oh, there's a merry-go-rounder. Tommy Chitning's in love! Oh, fagin, fagin, what a spree! Thoroughly overpowered with the notion, Mister Chippington being the victim of the tender passion, Master Bates threw himself back on his chair with such violence that he lost his balance and pitched over to the floor. Where the accident debating nothing of his merriment, he lay at full length until his laugh was over, when he resumed his former position and began another laugh. Never mind, my dear," said the Jew, winking at Mr. Dawkins and giving Master Bates a reproving tap with the nozzle from his bellows. "Betsy's a fine girl. Stick up to her, Tom. Stick up to her. What I meant to say," Fagin replied, Mr. Chitlin very red in the face, "is that there isn't anything to anybody here." "No more," it is replied the Jew. "Charlie will talk. Don't mind him, my dear. Don't mind him. Betsy's a fine girl. Do as she bids you, Tom, and you'll make your fortune." so i do do as she bids me replied mr chitney i shouldn't have been milled if i hadn't been for her advice but it turned out a good job for you didn't it fagin and what six weeks of it it must come some time or not, and why not in the winter time when you don't want to go out a walking so much eh fagin ah to be sure my dear replied the jew you wouldn't mind again tom would you asked the dodger winging upon charlie and the jew if that was all right i mean to say that i shouldn't replied tom angrily there now uh, Who'll say as much as that? I would like to know, eh, Fagin? Nobody, my dear, replied the Jew. Not a soul, Tom. I don't know one of them that would do it besides you. Not one of them, my dear. I might have got clear off if I'd split upon em, mightn't I, Fagin? Angrily pursued the poor half-witted dupe, A word to me would have done it, wouldn't it, Fagin? Oh, to be sure it would, my dear, replied the Jew. "'But I didn't it, did I, Fagin?' demanded Tom, pouring question upon question with great morbidity. "'No, no, to be sure,' replied the Jew. "'You were too stout-hearted for that, a deal too stout, my dear.' "'Perhaps I was,' rejoined Tom, looking around. "'And if I was, was to laugh at it, eh, Fagin?' The Jew, perceiving that Mr. Chitney was considerably roused, hastened to assure him that nobody was laughing, and to prove the gravity of the company appealed to Master Bates, the principal offender. But, unfortunately, Charlie, in opening his mouth to reply that he was never more serious in his life, was unable to prevent the escape of such a violent roar that the abused Mr. Chitling, without any preliminary ceremonies, rushed across the room and aimed a blow at the offender, who, being skilful in evading pursuit, ducked to avoid it and chose his time so well that it lighted upon the chest of the merry old gentleman and caused him to stagger into the wall where he stood panting for breath, while Mr. Chitling looked in intense dismay. "'Hark!' cried the dodger at this moment. "'I heard the tinkler. Catching up the light, he crept softly upstairs. "'The bell was rung again with some impatience while the party was in darkness. "'After a short pause, the dodger appeared and whispered Fagin mysteriously. "'What?' cried the Jew. "'Alone?' the dodger nodded in the affirmative, and "'shading the flame of the candle with his hand gave Charlie Bates a private intimation in dumb show that he had better not be funny just then. Having performed this friendly office, he fixed his eyes on the Jew's face and awaited his directions. The old man bit his yellow fingers and meditated for some seconds, his face working with agitation the while, as if he dreaded something and feared to know the worst. At length he raised his head. Where is he? he asked. The dodger pointed to the floor above and made a gesture as if to leave the room. "'Yes,' said the Jew, answering the mute inquiry. "'Bring him down. Hush. Quiet, Charlie. Chitney, Tom. Scarce, scarce.' This brief direction to Charlie Bates and his recent antagonist was softly and immediately obeyed. There was no sound of their whereabout when the dodger descended the stairs, bearing the light in his hand, and followed by a man in a coarse smock-frock who, after casting a hurried glance around the room, "'pulled off a large wrapper which had concealed the lower portion of his face, "'and disclosed, all haggard, unwashed, and unshorn the features of Flash Toby Crackett. "'How are you, Fagry?" said his worthy, nodding to the Jew. "'Pop that shawl away at me, Kester Dodger, "'so I may know where I can find it when I cut it. it's the time of day. "'You'll be a fine young cracksman of forty-old file now.' "'With these words he pulled up the smock-frock, "'and, widening it around his middle, drew a chair to the fire and placed his feet upon the hob see here fagy he said pointing disconsolately to his top boots not a drop of day in martin since you know when not a bubble of blacking by jove but don't look at me that way man all in good time i can't talk about business till i've eaten drank so produce the substance, and let's have a quiet fill up for the first time these three days the jew motioned to the dodger to place what eatables there were upon the table and seating himself opposite the housebreaker waited his leisure to judge from appearances toby was by no means in a hurry to open the conversation at first the jew contented himself with patiently watching his countenance as if to gain from its expression some clue to the intelligence he brought but in vain he was tired and worn but there was always some complacent repose upon his features that they always wore and through dirt and beard and whisker there still shone unimpaired the self-satisfied smirk of flash toby crackit then the Jew, in agony of impatience, watched every morsel he put in his mouth, pacing up and down the room. Meanwhile, in irrepressible excitement, it was all no use. Toby continued to eat with the utmost outward indifference until he could eat no more. Then, ordering the dodger out, he closed the door, mixed a glass of spirits and water, and composed himself for talking. First and foremost, Fagri said, "Toby." Yes, yes," interposed the Jew, drawing up his chair. Mr. Crackett stopped to take a draught of spirits and water, and declared the gin was excellent. Then, placing his feet against the low mantelpiece, so as to bring his boots to about the level of his eye, he quietly resumed. First and foremost, fagery said the housebreaker, as Bill. What? screamed the Jew, staring from his seat. Oh, you don't mean to say, began Toby, turning pale. Mean, cried the Jew, stamping his foot furiously on the ground. Where are they? Sykes and the boy. Where are they? Where have they been? Where are they hiding? Why have they not been here? The crack failed, said Toby faintly. I know it, replied the Jew, tearing a newspaper from his pocket and pointing to it. What more? They fired and hit the boy. We cut over fields at the back with him between us, straight as a crow flies through edge and ditch. They gave chase. Damn, the whole country was awakened and dogs upon us. The boy! Bill had him on his back and he scudded like the wind. We stopped to take him between us, his head hung down, and he was cold. They were close upon our heels, every man for himself, and each for the gallows. We parted company and left the young Solon in a ditch alive or dead. That's all I know about him. The Jew stopped to hear no more, but uttering a loud yell and twining his hands in his hair, rushed from the room and from the house. End of chapter 25 Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens.